Hello and welcome to It Takes Courage to Tell the Truth. This podcast features interviews from women around the world focusing on birth, business, sustainability, health, sex, death and money. I'm your host, Eleanor Bancroft. Um, So welcome everybody to the show. Just to let you all know, I have lost my voice due to protesting yesterday in Australia for the deaths in custody of Indigenous people around um, this country in allyship with the Black Lives Matter movement that's also happening in the States. So if I'm a little bit croaky, please forgive me. Um, On the show today, I am joined uh, with Amy. Amy, how are you? I'm very good, Ella. So nice to see you. Nice to see you too. I'd love to ask you a little bit about your story, um, your background and your lineage and how that has impacted the work that you do in this world and the way that you walk as a woman. Mm -hmm. I was born here in Australia, in Sydney. Um, My father is Māori and my mother is Australian. So on my paternal side, where Napui and Tarawa are our um, tribes, uh, so growing up already um, in that sort of mixture of um, being in Australia, but knowing um, my roots and my story really deeply embedded in Aotearoa, New Zealand, it really impacted how I experienced my identity um, and the formulation of my identity you know just to to go back to my maternal line there isn't the roots there are very all over the place Um, and there isn't a strong sense of um, ancestry or uh, how can I how can I phrase it a strong sense of identity and knowing and who we are on that line we are colonizers and so the the sort of level of identity that I wanted desperately to tune into was from my Maori side and growing up disconnected from that really fucked with me um, as it does so many mixed race people and children Um, and dad you know would try to nurture that within me and always tell me you know you are Maori and um, this is you know you have land over in New Zealand and although um, how do you truly conceptualize that without being um, raised within your culture so for me it's been um, really the framework and the lens through which I move through the world and view the world of trying to find myself as somebody with those opposing elements of colonizer and colonized and I experienced a lot of rage really like through my formative years and teenage years not knowing who I was searching in all the wrong places making toxic decisions there was a lot of internalized self 
self-loathing, I would say, because of the disconnect. Um, so really the healing for me on a personal level has come through that work of trying to remember and trying to heal um, not only the connection, the broken connection to my Maori roots, but um, to atone for the toxicity and the trauma in my colonial roots um, and how that marries up for me and comes through as my expression. Um, so in a personal, that's sort of my personal experience of that. And then um, in a business and where I'm at now, you know, I was studying psych um, and sort of had this epiphany that, wow, every single person that we're learning from as the fathers of psychology and psychotherapy are fucking white dudes. No wonder uh, Indigenous and Black folks are so traumatised by the system and we come to these systems for healing um, and there's no healing there for us. So I dropped out of that and enrolled into transpersonal therapy, which is in my opinion, a more decolonized view. So we uphold the spiritual as um, valuable as the emotional, mental and physical bodies. Yeah, that's where I'm at now in marrying the professional and the, and the personal. Mm, it's amazing work. And I think as an Indigenous mixed heritage woman as well, it, I've had similar experiences with trying to find, you know, where you're placed in the world because you may walk like fair skin. So you're you're kind of challenged by the wider Australia about your indigeneity. And then also you also challenged by your indigenous community about you know, where you, where you fit in that space. But I really see that it's a way to move forward to have more indigenous people voicing their identity, regardless of color, you know, because it's like we, have to pay respects to our ancestors. And when you start to understand what happened to New Zealand and Australia with colonization, you understand that like white assimilation has been the product of the reason we are the way we are. You know, mm. that really there is an idea amongst this country and culture as well as New Zealand of um, racism and to kind of breed out the black. So, Absolutely. I feel, I feel really fortunate in this time right now to be having this conversation with you also because mm. I, I really want to encourage other Indigenous people out there to stand in their truth and not be fearful of what other people say, you know, and you're a really leading example of that. So I guess I want to ask you, like, colonisers and the idea of, of um, you know, our ancestral line being stamped out, when did decolonization come into your sphere? I, I think I felt it, the rumblings of it, even as a child, not, uh, I wasn't able to conceptualize or intellectualize what was going on within me, but it was the call, if you will, of rage. Why is it like this? It doesn't have to be like this. That isn't, doesn't feel right in my body and who I am and how I want to show up. And so following that thread in an intellectual sense, probably, I mean, the last 10 years for me, and I lived in Redfern. I moved out of home when I was really young and Redfern was the first place I really called home. So I was blessed um, to really be part of the community there and work at the community centre in Redfern. Um, so I was down at Embassy when... Um, they were down there and, you know, supporting uh, the activists down there. And so I really saw a lot of my experience 
reflected and vice versa and how we could connect, even though it was so different, the connection that I could make with First Nations here as well um, through our shared pain and um, our shared fight for identity and reclamation of our identity. And yeah, so I'd say about the last 10 years, it's been sort of a concept that I've been fleshing out more deeply, especially having children, man, like that's not, I don't take that shit lightly. Like this is, my dad has always said to me, you know, we're visitors here. I'm not from here. Um, This isn't my land in Australia. Um, I'll always be a visitor. My children are visitors. Um, So we have to tread lightly and always walk beside or behind the First Nations here supporting what they say and what they do. So, yeah, many layers to decolonisation because it is both, Uh, my personal journey, but also how I show up for others. I guess the word decolonize is is around, which is amazing because it's in our current sphere. But what does it mean to you personally? Because I I have people ask me this question, how do I decolonize? How do Mm. I step Mm. away from the colonial mindset? And do you have any insights on on what that means to you personally to decolonize? For me, it's um, a reclamation of sovereignty on every level. So um, when I'm working with clients on this concept, really even just starting with the body. So noticing how I feel in my body and actually being in my body, because from the second we're born, we're colonized, colonized out of our bodies, colonized out of um, feeling empowered and inherently worth anything. Um, Colonialism and patriarchy, patriarchy are inherently linked. And white supremacy, of course. So we um, have this umbrella of things that we're not allowed to have sovereignty and control over. Um, so starting that process of decolonization for me is actually owning my body and knowing my body, feeling um, a right to pleasure, feeling a right to medical freedom, uh, na- uh, natural health. You know, these have all been cast as woo-woo bullshit. Actually, they're ancient indigenous practices Um, so reclaiming that on a physical level is a really beautiful place to start it also encourages the remembering of our intuition and our psychic abilities and these are all ancient indigenous things that we you know that show up in cultures far predate colonialism so for me um, decolonization is the stripping back and the remembering of what came what was before what was known before about health wellness about land and our connection to land it's big and I think for everybody it's a personal journey you know and it's ever evolving I don't have a solid idea of it and that's going to be my idea of it forever it's forever changing it's totally malleable and open to learning um, because that's for me what decolonizing is is cracking open the um, you know I know this for sure and this is how it is and that's the only way it's ever going to be Totally. It's, uh, you know, for me, it's really about stopping the like ingestion of mainstream views and ideals. And maybe that's just because I'm a deep rebel at heart, but Mm. uh, I tend to love to go against anything that the system is putting in place because it kind of polarizes what indigenous people were always doing on this land. And yeah, Mm -hmm. I want to walk aside indigenous people of this land and and stand for my own community like you as well so Mm -hmm. I also want to note that decolonization isn't it's not just for indigenous people it's for everybody you know absolutely 
this conversation is about involving everybody in the act of decolonizing because for me that's that's radical activism if we can look at how our systems in place are not serving the people and we choose to go against them and change our programming this is this is where the change really starts so it's a really important conversation to be had right what and, is, and that's the thing in growing in a in the society that we're being raised i mean we're all being raised under white supremacy um whether you are white or black um so we're all being colonized into racism both covert and obvious so if we are to heal collectively then we all need to be doing this work and the doors open the doors open to everybody so love what you said i agree I know that one of your big things is decolonizing healing and you touched on it earlier. What does that look like? Because we are living within the systems where people think, okay, I've got to go to the doctor and the doctor's word is, you know, solid and that's how I'm going to move forward and I'm going to take prescription. And, and what does decolonizing healing mean? It's such um, an ever-changing, ever-growing concept for me. Um, I feel like, I'm like a little bird that's just like, just got my baby feathers and I'm, you know, just learning to fly out of the nest. Um, so there's so many people that are, are far more well-versed probably um, than me as I'm sort of just entering this professional sphere of decolonizing wellness. But um, for me, it really is about reclaiming what we know to be true beyond what we're told. Um, and so going to the doctor is a very, it's a very like one dimensional aspect of what it means to be well and how, you know, beyond being well as perceived under um, a capitalist system where being well is um, being healthy enough to go out and work and earn money and function in society as everybody else does and to assimilate and cruise through the world like that being a productive citizen what does wholeness and wellness mean to me as an individual and how can I truly this for me personally be um, a sovereign being and be on this journey of decolonization when I'm being told what health is and um, not exploring that for myself. So in terms of therapy as well, decolonizing therapy, I try to have that lens when I'm working with clients um, and it's really just taking into account the systems of oppression that influence our lives and influence our mental health. And that's really, in my experience, was missing in my own personal journey with therapy and my own healing journey that that is not taken into account. And really, how could it be when we're idolizing these, you know, outdated middle class, upper class, white old men who lived centuries ago, you know? telling us what it means to be a well human being. It's, yeah, it's, it doesn't promote a wholeness. Um, mm -hmm. So decolonizing uh, healing is about remembering, remembering and tuning back into what really feels good in our bodies, what felt good for the women and the people in our ancestral lines, remembering that we're spiritual beings having a human experience. What does that mean to us as individuals and taking control taking control of, of our experience. And I love this idea that you have around 
the slow healing as well, which is so linked also to like a, a decolonized view of healing. If we look to nature and takes, you know, our cues from the natural world, we see that the process of healing is always slow. You know, right. things take time to grow and they take time to seed. So, yeah, what, what is it, the kind of link that you find between slowing down and, and how people can kind of find that in themselves? Um, slowing down for me is radical. Um, so living um, and growing in a capitalist system, I mean, we touched on it before, linking worth with productivity and then healing becomes just an offshoot of that. Well, I've got to be, you know, I'll do the workshop and I'll do this and then I'll be fine. And it's like such a capitalist mentality because it, we don't always have to be achieving. Um, we don't always have to be grinding and hustling and, and feeling depleted by that. I mean, healing is a joy really why do we want to heal we want to show up we want to be our most authentic expression we want to feel joy in ourselves and in our bodies and in our bones and with our family and friends um and that's a slow gentle remembering it's almost like going back to what we were born knowing and how can we rush that and why would we want to why would we want to yeah so slowing down for me is really a rejection of that story that we're told that we always have to be um, working and grinding and hustling and you know pushing to get to the next thing actually the only thing that there is is the thing that we're doing right now so be with it um, and so working with clients um, a way to sort of start that journey is take your time making a cup of tea you know something as simple as that and really just sit outside and feel the sun on your skin and just sit there and feel it just for a few moments. It doesn't have to be these big, grandiose, romantic, um, you know, romanticized, even the workshop culture, you know, I mean, fuck, I love a bloody self-love, self-work development workshop, whatever. But, you know, we get a dopamine hit when we go to these things and we're riding so high and we have all these big revelations. But then how are we integrating? How are we bringing that back into the everyday? And the only way to do that where it's going to stick is through slowness, the slow integration and then the slow showing up and slowly um, making different decisions and choices and being kind to yourself and forgiving when those um, choices may not be to serve your highest good. Yeah. I love the idea of slowing down because it not only helps us as individuals, but also helps community. But the big impact is that it really helps the earth, you know, right. when we, take that moment to slow down and not use rapid amounts of energy in every day, which means we'll have mm -hmm. to consume more to replenish mm -hmm. ourselves. We're actually looking after her, you know? And I think we do live in this society that's incredibly yang and, and has all of these ideas around what success looks like. And one of my biggest things right now is imagine if we could change the landscape of the way that we viewed success to not be yeah. about monetary status, but about the health of the people on the planet and the health of the planet. Right. So for me, I think that's like so embedded in decolonizing and the aspect of healing and that we have to understand that things, they don't happen quickly. You know, you don't build a society quickly. You don't build a relationship quickly. You don't, you know, look after your child quickly. You, right. you know, you have it forever. 
And that's, that's such a good, um, you know, looking at healing as, um, you know, child rearing. I find so many parallels um, through birth and child rearing, um, you know, treating ourselves and our healing, how we would treat a growing child who's rediscovering, who's discovering the world. Like when we're on this path of self-discovery, we are every day trying to look at the world in a different way and remember um, ourselves um, and how we show up before the traumas or before the pain or without the systems, without the oppression. Yeah. So I love that. You are a very big birth advocate mm-hmm. in the world. You're also a mama of two beautiful yes. little babies. What is being a transpersonal birth mentor about? Yeah. Um, so Transpersonal means to go beyond the personal, which means to go beyond the ego. Um, the ego, as I understand it, um, is how we, what we show to the world. So our um, personal identity, you know, it's our Instagram, it's our, um, you know, the, the, we need an ego. We need an ego to be able to show up in the world. But what's beyond that? Um, is the soul and the spirit and um, the inner child. So we really, through birth mentor, transpersonal birth mentoring, explore how what lies beneath influences our birth choices and our birth outcomes. So there's a understanding that um, the unconscious, like there's that saying, we don't know what we don't know. But even when we do know what we need to know, what is influencing us to make the right choice or the wrong choice, quote unquote. Um, so I explore a lot of that with um, my clients um, through birth mentoring. Um, and I also use birth as a philosophy with clients that aren't pregnant or birthing. So you may have heard of the heroic journey, um, which is, you know, we, we are in our, we separate from our ordinary world and we dip down into the underworld and we return to a new to build a new world, um, and that's very much sort of what happens when we become pregnant and when we birth children, and also when we rebirth ourselves. We dip into this underworld where we um, face all of our shit, um, and what are we going to do with it so that we can reemerge um, and build the new world? What are your current thoughts on the um, mainstream birth culture of Australia? Um. <laughs> oh it's so so layered i think we're really really far away from um from where we could be um and where we deserve to be as women and birthing people and as babies birth impacts babies um how we come into the world um leaves an imprint on us uh, and we deserve a lot more and our babies deserve a lot more than what is currently being experienced. One in three women are leaving birth with birth trauma and that is just, um, yeah, it's, it, I struggle to even talk about it without tearing up actually because it's the most profound experience um, of a person's life to both be born and to birth um, a new human being. And uh, to know that so many of us are walking away um, feeling less than, feeling pained, feeling um, traumatised, PTSD. Some folks are walking away with 
uh, the same kind of um, post-traumatic stress that men who leave war um, are coming home with. And that is just fucking bullshit. <laughs> and we have the resources um, and the capacity to be doing so much more to uh, make sure that doesn't happen. So, um, yeah, it's, it breaks my heart, actually. What do you think are the, like, major problems that are actually causing these traumatic births? I think the infantilizing of women um, and birthing people, um, the uh, um, the colonial and uh, mindset and the the supremacy that reigns within that system. So, um, I mean, that is patriarchy manifest really um, within the hospital system. A lot of the time, you know, disclaimer, of course, there are wonderful midwives and obstetricians and not everyone's birth is um, horrific or tra traumatic. But, you know, the system has a very ingrained power dynamic so that even the most, you know, empowered person when we walk into a hospital there is a shift in that energetic you know there's a power play there um and we feel in infantilized we feel inferior and so while that dynamic is there how can we expect people to be demanding um more how can we expect uh the most vulnerable in our society the most marginalized in our society to say no i don't want that this is what i want it's just I mean, it's the most vulnerable and marginalised often that are getting, having the most traumatic experiences. So um, I think the whole thing needs a massive overhaul. You know, women-centred practice is uh, some words in a book, but how is that actually being um, uh, represented and how is that landing for people who are birthing within that system? I would argue that it's not. Um, because people aren't being given the choice, actual um, informed choices. They're um, only getting half the story. So, you know, the system isn't broken. Um, it's kind of working as it was designed to work, which is an industrialised birth, you know. And I think it's important to remember that the hospitals are businesses, you know, as much right. as they are places where we go for healthcare they are businesses and they also are looking out for profit. I've been, you know, an advocate for birth in some way or another for as long as I can remember since I helped deliver my sister when I was 11, you know, but the reality is that I, I, I haven't had a baby, but I see mm. how biologically I probably would not be able to have an easy birth if I was in a hospital. One, because I have like quite a big aversion to hospitals in general. But even if you look at a biological level, what happens, you know, to a woman when she's like around like fluorescent lighting, when there are lots of people who are unknown to her, you know, we need to be cultivating uh, birthing spaces where there is a level of like infinite trust because how can you fully crack open as a woman unless you feel that you're going to be held by those around you and that your you know nervous parasympathetic nervous system is in you know a full state of relaxation which blaring yeah. lights and beeping machines and doctors who are men yelling at me I don't know if I would ever be able to fully relax in that space exactly and I mean think about what we need to orgasm um, and what you just described is probably the opposite of what we need to orgasm. So 
um, I think the standard needs to be that birth unfolds, birth knows what it's doing. This is going to happen. And if it does, if we do need to support you in some way, we're here, we can support you. But the assumption is you've got this and there, that is not what's happening. And I mean, everything that you've described uh, that we, what we need for birth to unfold physiologically is darkness, warmth, um, a shitload of oxytocin. Um, you know, we need our space, we need trust, we need knowing. Um, and that's just not what's happening in our hospital systems a lot of the time. Definitely. Yeah. And, and cultural understanding too, that every woman, depending on where her lineage and ancestry comes from, should have real healthcare protection practitioners that understand the difference within culture for birthright for each woman because it doesn't right. happen right now you just see a blanket a blanket way of treating women in the birth space which is just the white way and that is traumatic in itself you know if we come right. back to the idea of decolonization indigenous people marry women first nations women anyone that's in australia and new zealand that's going through these birthing practices are going to suffer immensely because they don't have their cultural protocols at play i think that is also a powerful part of trying to change the system and honestly i think we could we could change the world if we healed birth oh yes we could <laughs> I mean, peace on earth begins at birth. It's just so true. Imagine a whole generation being born safely without violence, um, with pleasure. The mother, you know, and the parents walking away feeling like so empowered, so enriched by that experience. I mean, the birth of my son, um, which was unassisted at home, like I'm a completely different woman to who I was. I, I don't feel like I really was a woman until I had that experience for me, that was the most, it just shaped me and just, I'm still integrating, but I feel so enriched by that experience. Imagine um, a world where that's the case. And, you know, at the birth of my daughter, I birthed her in hospital. I didn't even see my placenta. I didn't even see it. They didn't ask me. Um, and that's, you know, I wasn't empowered at that time. I didn't know um, that I had the right to ask for that. Um, but I realized through going deeper into my own journey of decolonization that that was a wound for me because in Maori culture, we keep the placenta and we either weave it in a basket or we plant it in the ground in our, on our ancestral land. And as I delved into my healing journey, that really came up for me as a trauma um, that I didn't even know that I fully had at that time. So how many women in my line, as an example, have had their placenta taken from them. It was ripped from my body and not even seen it and the disconnect and how that reverberates down our ancestral line and imprints on um, the little wahine that are being raised now. Yeah, so many layers, so many layers, Ella. Definitely. It's not the system is broken. It's actually, it, it is like that, you know. I mean, that we're living in a capitalist society that benefits from traumatised people because mm -hmm. when you're traumatized you don't feel whole so you look for the external space to consume and that's what breeds what we live in right now it's our time right now to be sovereign beings to look as women or people who are birthing as to what we can do to educate ourselves because we don't have rituals anymore we don't have right. rites of passage which have been ripped from us. Instead, we just go to school and we learn about mass. Like, imagine if they replace mass with like women's birthing and how to right. have incredible birthing systems. But 
the system's not going to change. We have to change within it right. and force it to change. So yeah, just encourage everybody to, if they're thinking about assisting a birth or having a baby or are in a pregnancy, like what is that? What do you want it to look like? Because, you know, mm-hmm. every birth and every woman um, has a choice. You know, and that's the most important thing. And hospitals have saved many lives and I'm definitely not out to diss the Western medicine world because it has saved it. But I do think that we have a ridiculously high number of cesareans in this country. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's the number one um, country in the world in terms of C-sections. And that is just for me, that just shows the quick in and out, let's get the baby in and out. This is a a procedure, not a ritual. Right, right. And even when it is medically necessary, truly medically necessary, or if a woman says, chooses um, with fully informed choice to have a cesarean, we can still make that a ritual. We can still create um, a really beautiful experience for her within that so many women that I work with that have had cesareans have a wound um, and that they're still working through and trying to excavate and understand because there's an energetic flow that happens when a baby moves through the body. But there are ways through cesarean birth and ritual that we can do um, to get that energy to still move through and to symbolize that, um, you know, we need to show up for all women and birthing people, um, whether we you know, offer to do a closing ceremony or to sit with them and, and hear their story without our opinion, without interjection. Uh, and these are um, Indigenous practices. Deep listening is an Indigenous practice. So it, no matter what kind, yes, we want to change how the system um, is working, but we also want to ensure that no matter what happens within the system, we're there to catch women and birthing people and babies. Some people who may be listening and may think like, oh, how do I ritualize my hospital birth or what does that look like? Mm, um, I think really curating, if possible, a beautiful birth team. So whether you hire a doula or really do that work with a partner, if you have one, um, about what you will need in that time to feel really safe and really held and secure. Also in a birth in a hospital, that birth space is yours. Um, you can hang up your tapestries. You know, you can get those. You can't have an open flame, but you can have little um, battery-operated candles. Get some smells. Smell is everything. You know, have your little essential thing, that, essential oils that you've been rubbing and massaging yourself with. Have it there with you. Have your own pillow. Wear your own clothes. And afterwards, really working through what has come up for you and creating ritual. So that might be um, if you're able to keep your placenta, to bury your placenta under a fruit tree um, and, you know, call on your ancestors, even just within the hospital room, calling on your well and healed ancestors, be with me now, hold me now, are you here with me? And connecting with them in that way. They're always there. They're always there waiting for you. Call on them and feel them. You know, we have a tendency to create these sort of big altars. Um, I know I do. I love my big, beautiful altar. But our, our altar is within and we carry it with us wherever we go. 
And so being able to call on whatever it is that brings you strength, whether it's calling on the elements, you know, fire, earth, water, air, calling on mama nature, whatever it is that gives you strength, just sitting there and sending a prayer and opening yourself to them coming to hold you. I'd start there. Mm. put material like you were saying tapestries up but you can cover machinery that like may not be useful for you at that point to try and Mm -hmm. make the space feel beautiful and low lighting is also really amazing for the parasympathetic nervous system i um studied tantra a while ago and been in the practices of that space for a while and um you know i always got told that if you want to recreate this kind of orgasmic birth that birth that everyone's looking for is to is to make the space as if you were having the best sex of your life you know Mm. so what are the principles and how do you romanticize you know your lover then how Mm. do you adapt that to yourself like become your own lover in this birth space and figure Mm. out exactly what you want to make you open right and also you know orgasmic birth quote unquote let's actually shift um, what orgasmic means because within, um, the narrative right now, um, in, of the mainstream to have an orgasm is to reach that peak, you know, that like a, the sneeze, the sneeze orgasm to reach that peak as quick as we can or whatever, um, to have that hard release actually orgasmic, um, is, can be just how, you know, the sensation of, the ocean on our skin, the sensation of massaging our breasts and our body. It's not within the birth context actually having necessarily um, a peak orgasm. Um, It's the sensation of feeling orgasmic. Um, And that's a big difference. So really, you know, shifting that um, you're not necessarily going to have an orgasm as you've understood it, but practice through pleasure practice, just feeling into orgasmic energy which will always help you open being in tune with your body i mean getting out of your head and really getting into your body and feeling all of the sensations regardless of what they feel like you know just not needing to put a label to them but uh, you know i know when i'm orgasming like as soon as i have a thought that takes me out of my body and with my partner I can't, I can't orgasm, you know, it's just like, that's a prevention. And so maybe head down is what we then discover as orgasms. We don't have to label it as being, you know, like, wow, wonderful. You know, I sound like a pterodactyl right now. (laughs) (laughs) When you're having that lovemaking where just every movement of the body, every brush of the skin just feels electric. And it feels like the whole time you were having an orgasm, you know, that is orgasmic energy. That is what we can channel in birth. And also alleviating the pressure of that being um, what happens and also knowing that it might fucking hurt and you can handle it. We've been handling this shit forever. So even if you are experiencing intense, intense pain and sensations, you can fucking do it, man. Yeah, resilience and the belief that you can get through is, is right. I think, a really important key that women that we need and, and something that we need as radical activism too is to know our own power because right. these systems at play, the patriarchal system, the capitalist system, the white supremacy system, they're mm-hmm. here to keep us oppressed, you know, regardless right. of our lineage, but definitely women have felt the hand of that. Mm-hmm. 
massively and and it's had a direct link to our ability to trust ourselves in the birth space of course of course and imagine if what we were talking about before a whole generation of parents born into power and awareness and babies born in with epic birth imprints in power and awareness um, without violence like that's some badass shit you know that's like we change the world that's a different world that's a different paradigm um, and that's dangerous to the status quo they don't want us walking out of there feeling totally empowered totally fucking radicalized um like we've just reclaimed everything that we needed to for our ancestors i mean that's it's not ideal for the way things are i know that you're really passionate about things like self-pleasure and self-care you talk a little bit about how this is also part of your activism yeah it's funny you bring this up actually because i just did breath work on thursday um and i went in there like i've got some shit to clear i want to be like vomiting and just you know get it out of me and who i was working with was like i feel like actually you need to just be nurtured right now and to be loved so that you can feel clarity and be able to show up you know more clear and feeling more held and i was like oh yeah that you know it's so easy when we're in this realm of like wanting to shake shit up and wanting to change wanting to burn down systems <laughs> casually to forget um, about ourselves. Um, and that's why burnout within these industries is so, and these um, you know, parts of life are so prevalent. So for me, self-care is really um, remembering that I am worthy. For me to be able to show up for others, I have to be able to show up for myself. You know, how can I doula another person if I can't doula myself? How can I help to support someone on their healing journey if I'm not supporting myself and showing up for me on my healing journey? Um, and that's a big principle within transpersonal is congruency. So I have to be, have walked through what I'm walking you through in the sense of, you know, I wouldn't do a process with somebody, with a client that I haven't done myself. Um, and we can only meet people as, deep, as deeply as we've met ourselves. Um, so again, it's that marrying of the professional and the personal, um, and actually my professional life encourages me to take better care of myself because I want to be able to take care of others. What are some solid self-care practices that you have in place? For me, I have my altar, which is behind me. Um, so every morning I will stand, you know, Okay, maybe not every morning because I have two children and sometimes they're just insane. So <laughs> most mornings I will just stand at the altar for a few minutes and connect with my well ancestors and just ask, um, what do you need from me or how can I show up today? Are you with me? And allow myself to feel held by that. Breath work is something that I really need and really benefits me in just coming back to a, a solid baseline. Baths are everything, fire, I'm all, I've always got the fire on, um, having a fire outside, um, and the elements for me. I, if I'm not out in the elements, I'm feeling it, my nervous system feels fried. Yeah, um, and also celebrating the, my choices that I make um, and knowing that I'm not always gonna make ones that serve my highest good but practicing self-compassion 
Um, Self-compassion is a huge self-care practice for me. Um, Talking to myself how I would talk to a friend or how I would talk to a client. Some good advice that I got given was that if, if you wouldn't say that to your best friend or your family member, then don't say it to you. And so often we're stuck in this cycle of self-deprivation through our thoughts, which have a direct link on our, our body and then what internalizes as disease. You know, if I'm going to take us to the physics space, if you're thinking about the way vibrations work on water, we are that big tub of water and those thoughts are the vibrations that you send yourself. So you, you determine who you are and how you walk in the world by the way that you speak to yourself. And I think that's one of the, the first steps to self-care is, is self-love through your mm-hmm. thoughts, you know? Right on. And how can we expect others to treat us a certain way if we don't treat ourselves a certain way? We end up accepting treatment that we shouldn't. And we're also a society that's obsessed with self-esteem, having to feel good about ourselves all the time. It's actually okay to not feel great. And it's actually okay to have those moments of not feeling wonderful within ourselves. But how are we going to handle that? how we would with a friend if a friend wasn't feeling wonderful it's okay that you're feeling this way right now Um, i love you anyway Um, you're doing a good job so on and so forth so self-compassion is is vital absolutely and i'm glad that you pointed that out too because so often you know there's this idea of light and love and light and love and that's just a suppression of our emotional body even more and Mm -hmm. to really recognize that when shit comes up and it's the shadow just like fucking embrace it and meet it because it's really good it's it's like your humanness when you realize the shit parts of you or something that happened that was a bit bad that you didn't really enjoy in your life just meet it and accept it because it makes us all connected and you know the imperfectness of ourselves even though they may be different is what connects us as human beings a hundred percent and that's a big um philosophy within transpersonal therapy that these, you know, quote unquote, darker experiences or, or sensations and emotions are actually just invitations into deeper levels of healing. Um, so embrace them with curiosity and love. Um, often what our quote unquote shadow is, is an unloved part or a forgotten part that just wants to be heard. So really trying to create enough distance between how we respond or react when these dark sensations come up and just being like, oh, hello, friend. You know, what do you, how can I help you? What do you need? Um, I love you. And, um, and taking on healing that way. In terms of your, your recent birth, so your son is, is one and a bit. When you fell pregnant, did you know that's where you were going, the direction you were going? And if so, how did you prepare yourself for those nine months to do that? Yeah, so I um, knew straight away we were going to home birth. Hospital wasn't even... I don't think it was discussed once. And I had prenatal care from four months with a private midwife who's now my mentor, um, my birth work mentor. And so I really, through learning from her um, just about birth and her, you know, 20 years of wisdom, I just felt more and more aligned in my choice and just really trusting and really educated but also I didn't feel 
like I really had to do much because I mean, life preparation, birth preparation is life preparation. And I've been, you know, working through my shit for a long time. And so I feel like all that, you know, self-work and self-exploration was preparing me for birth and to be able to hold that space myself. Um, So when it came to birth, I mean, I knew when he was going to be born. I knew how he was going to be born. He was communicating to me all the time. And I, when I woke up, it was like waking up um, to him saying, I'm ready. I'm ready now. And four hours later, he was born. And so as soon as I felt that sensation, I knew, because I was undecided, do I want my midwife there or do I want to do this on my own? I'll see how I feel when, um, when the time comes. And I just knew from that first conversation Zevin and I had when he told me he was ready that, no, we're doing this on our own. And it, yeah, we lay in bed for two hours, just he and I, and my daughter was asleep next to me. Um, just talking and telling him, you know, it's like, you don't have to be scared. We're doing this together and came outside, sat by the fire. And it really never occurred to me to that anything was missing anyone or anything. It was just perfect as it was. Um, I mean, I'm a bit of a hermit and um, I love to be alone. I love to be alone. So why would I want anyone else there when I'm birth? Why, when, why would birth be any different for me? Um, yeah. Mm, it's so beautiful. And I think like sometimes we can forget that, that speaking to the ancestors, speaking to, you know, an unborn baby in our belly, that, that we have these forms to communicate, even if we're not told about them, you know, we're not taught, yes, you can communicate with your baby and they will understand you or communicate to your dead grandfather. It's mm. like, it's not in the, in the spiritual sphere of the way that the mainstream works. But I think it's really important, as you said, to like have this integrated philosophy where we're bringing back the spirit because we are spiritual beings having a human experience and being able to really trust in that is something that can help you to walk through life with more ease. Right. Right. And birth is just an extension of that. Absolutely. And so your, your birthing was for four hours? Four hours. Um, I was by the fire. I um, moved onto the couch and was the sun started to rise. And it was just like I felt completely surrounded. Like it's the most psychedelic. I mean... If you've done plant medicine, um, mushrooms, or, you know, that sensation of being part of the fabric of everything. And I, you know, as I said, still integrating um, what happened, but I know implicitly that they were my ancestors, that I was connected on a different plane um, through that experience. And, you know, I put my, I checked myself um, and, you know, one of the most traumatic experiences that parts of birthing my daughter was actually having a vaginal exam that I didn't know I could decline. So for me, that moment of actually checking myself um, and checking where my baby's head was, was just a reclamation of that and a healing of that wound. And then I kind of reared up onto my knees and I was alone in the room when his head emerged and then called out and my daughter came out and, um, 
was cheering me on and, you know, rubbing my back. And Nick, Zevin's father, was like, quick, push him out. Because <laughs> he's, you know, baby, newborn babies were emerged. They're all squished up and blue. I was like, wait. And Nick explains, as it, explains it as being like a sonic boom. Like, it was just like, pfft, silence. And it was just us, us in the universe. And that was it. And then he just flew from my body. He'd had fetal ejection reflex. So I didn't have to push um, because the environment was optimal, you know, darkness with people I love, safe. Um, that's actually how our bodies are designed to just eject the baby when conditions are optimal. So, and then he was here and half an hour later, I was on the couch having a cup of tea. Amazing. something that a midwife once told me was that if you imagine birthing to be similar to shitting you don't want to push so hard that you rip your asshole you actually want to like relax you actually want your ass to just be relaxed that it opens you know right and she gave this amazing comment about you know we were talking about birthing in hospitals and she said do you think that you could take a shit in front of five people who you didn't know in a white, <laughs> in a lit white room and that that would be a comfortable place for you? You know, but in saying all of, all of this, you know, there is, I'm hugely privileged um, to even have felt safe and, and have access to the information and education around home birth, around my physiology, um, and to have the capacity to birth in the way that I did um, within the current system. So um, totally aware of my privilege within that. What do you see as like the best advice to give women who are about to birth or in pregnancy? Well, um, that's a big question because I, obviously it's so different um, for everybody. but who are you who are you and what do you believe about yourself and the way of things if you have a solid understanding of that then you know prepare for birth in alignment with that Mm. and and you know don't just trust birth do the work that feels right for you um you know heal the stuff that needs to be healed um, before that baby arrives, or at least start on the path of that um, led by, you know, who am I? What do I believe about myself and about the way of things? What do we want to carry forth? What do we want our children to carry? Yeah. But it's, it's so um, each woman that I work with, it's just so vastly different what comes up when we start this kind of work together. Um, but those are three three things to consider, I think. So this is a question that I ask every woman that comes on the show. Okay. Uh, so the name of the show is It Takes Courage to Tell the Truth. And it's all mm-hmm. about breaking down the systems put in place that keep us in our oppressed mindsets. So mm-hmm. what is the biggest truth that you've discovered in this human experience? Well, we are all... Um, God's expression, and I don't mean God in a religious sense. I mean, I think you've, that's obvious, but we're all sovereign expressions of God and walk like that, live like that, because nobody has 
control over our spirit. They can take our medical freedom. They can take, you know, land. They can, and that's, but they can't take our spiritual selves and the spirit of the land. And when we live in alignment with that, we'll always be able to show up, to show up for the, for the causes that need us to show up, um, walk like God through this world. And also something that really uh, was a big thing for me and something I draw a lot of power from is I am a future ancestor. So what, how, how am I, what steps am I taking um, to make sure I'm the best fucking ancestor that I can be? Mm. That's yeah. fucking awesome. <clears throat> yeah. You're here and I'm with you on that. Mm. Yeah. walking the world or remembering that one day we will pass and what are we going to leave to those people and how are we going to show up spiritually right here right now because we're going to have to do it once we're gone uh, yeah yeah and just speaking to that is you know something i want to really make clear to anybody that i work with or anybody that follows me or whatever you know the spiritual is political like our, um, how we show up as humans is our spiritual expression, right? Um, and we cannot separate um, our humanness from that. So being political, being an activist, radicalizing our lives, these are spiritual acts um, to get us back to a place as a race that where we need to be, where everybody is, um, you know, on some level of an equal playing field. And without that work, without the political work, without um, showing up for our fellow humans, that's, that isn't spiritual work to me. Yeah, <clears throat> I agree. Amy, thank you so much for joining me with this conversation. Uh, yeah, it was such a delight to finally talk to you and see you because it's been a while. So long, too long. Yeah, much love. Thank you so much, babe. Such a pleasure. See ya. Bye. Bye.